We're going to be reviewing Israel and the temple. And uh, if you were here last month, uh, Pastor Edmund uh, told us about the ushering in of the time of the Gentiles, which is where we are now. So if you want to get to be seated, we're going to be seated up here and we're just going to hang out and have a little conversation. You know, it's interesting. I don't know. Edmund and I have kind of got this thing going. Uh, I'm going to ask him some questions. He is going to answer those questions, and we're going to we're going to kind of tag team up here. So to get started, it, when we talk about the temple, right? Hang on a second. And I have to. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to tell you oh, that yeah. this is important th- today. <laughs> when we were trying to communicate, it never happened before. My my iPad went crazy. It just blanked out. So I was trying to text on my phone. My phone went blank, dead. He was trying to send me something on his computer. His computer went blank. So I think we're going to have a very touchy subject (laughs) against what the enemy doesn't want you and I to know. Yeah, so whatever we're talking about tonight, the enemy doesn't want us to want us to be sharing that. In so, fact, you need to pray, brother. We, yeah, we need absolutely. to pray right now because we prayed back everything might just blank out right we're, now. We're going to pray again. So, Father God, Lord, we just we invite you into this place, Lord. We know you're already here. Your word tells us when two or more gather in your name that you will be here among us, and we thank you for that, Father. We pray protection, Lord, over all of our equipment, all of the technology and, and everything so that uh, what you want shared tonight gets shared. Yes. If there's anything, Lord, that... Uh, that you don't want us to be saying that, that you would squash that, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come and, and to present your word. We thank you, Lord, that what we're sharing does not want to be shared by, by, uh, by Satan because it tells us that we're on track, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Alex Gennetti. I'm an elder here at Harvest. This is Pastor Edmund Cornell, and uh, we're just excited to be here tonight. We have a passion for this, Bible prophecy. Uh, is is in the scripture it it it's there not to scare us people get scared when we start talking about the future and you know the, the book of revelation bible prophecy is there to prepare us and so what we're going to be doing tonight is kind of setting the stage and trying to understand um what how the temple plays into this past present and future and so you know we know from the very beginning that uh in the book of revelation you know, uh, we are told God created creation. He created Adam and Eve. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to fellowship with them. He walked with them in the cool of the day, uh, the word tells us. And so we know that we know what else happened in the garden, right? We know that there was sin, there was separation. And, and so the garden kind of goes away. Adam and Eve have to go toil the land for a while. But God then comes back and makes a reappearance with Moses and the Israelites, right? So he comes in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, again, with his people. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, 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 but. There's some things we got to consider before we go to Moses, all right? right? Because, okay, yes, in the garden, God dwelt with his creation. That's key. The word dwelling or dwelt with his people is what we're going to see throughout the scripture. And even as God desires to be with us in our presence. So we have to really begin to look at this whole topic of who 
is God dwelling with? Because we know it happened with Adam and Eve, but yet it is going to happen with Moses in a special way. But we have to look at a scripture first, where I think it's very important. This is going to set the whole study into motion. And that is in Joshua 24. Because here it says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. So we got to realize where Abraham came from. It was on the other side of the river. In fact, the word Hebrew means cross over. It's when they crossed over the Euphrates and came into the promised land that we begin to see Abraham and the God's people leaving the pagan system and coming into a relationship with the true and living God. This is very key and very important for our study tonight. So we know from Scripture that Abraham is considered the father of faith. Very important. So we also learn that Yes, Moses, in the generation of the Hebrews and the Jewish people, he would also raise up in faith to, to the point to stand up against Pharaoh. I mean, that's the number one man of the world power-wise, and he stands up against him because he's having faith and trusted God, even though it was kind of weak in, at some point, but nevertheless, we see faith at work. But then we see Moses in obedience, building a temple. And this is what we see in the wilderness. And this wilderness time is uh, really where God is going to begin to teach his people. And, uh, and, and you know what? More than anything, I think, especially the women, the women uh, did a study in Exodus. And in chapter 25, it talks about the building of the temple. And every article, every part of this tabernacle that you see in this picture has something or reference or points to Jesus Christ. If you've never done a study on this tabernacle, you need to for your own spiritual heart. But then I want you to see something else. The order of the camp, if you would do a study in the book of Numbers, okay, chapter 2, and it's a boring, it's a bunch of numbers. How many people, how many, this many thousand, that many thousand. But if you would look at the, how, how many are to be on the east side, add those numbers up, west side, add those number up, the top, the, the north, how many, it's smaller, and the bottom one is large. It does make a cross. And you look, because that is where the Lamb of God will give his blood and become the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's pictures like this throughout the Bible that God is trying to communicate to us if we will study the Word of God and begin to understand how great our God is. Even to the point, which we'll talk next time, with uh, even Goliath and David. Goliath has the number 666 attached to him, and we'll show that next time. But we see how information that's dealing with what we're interested in tonight is throughout the Word of God, and we need to see this. And David, listen, he was a man of faith. You know the story, because he went by faith and began to conquer the enemies of God, and he did a great job. But the more important thing about David, I think we all realize, is David was a worshiper of God. He 
wrote the Psalms. He played the harp. He was a worshiper. And therefore, he desired to build a temple for God. But we know from Scripture, he was a man of blood. And God says, no, you cannot build it, but I'll allow your son. And that would be Solomon. But David prepared. We, we see in Scripture that he prepared all the things for the temple. And Solomon now comes into the picture. And Solomon, a wise man, but yet we learn he had weaknesses of his flesh dealing with the women in his life that led him to the gods of those nations. Very big problem. And because of that, the compromise of Israel throughout their generation will be compromising with the gods around them. And therefore, they will end up going into captivity because when they stopped following the law of God and started to worship the gods of the other ones, we see the problem. And captivity came to Israel. We see in Numbers chapter 33, verse 53, it says here that you shall take possession of the land and live in it. Understand this point. God said you must live in it, for I have given you the land that you should possess it. So when you look at the history of Israel, throughout the Bible, even to our day today, they are living outside a majority, especially in their history, a great majority, lived outside the land. This is called the Galat, and it's, and the, it's also, that's the Hebrew word, but the word, it's the diaspora. It's when the Romans came in and they pushed them out, and this was in 135 AD. And here, the Jews were now living in captivity, or we can say in exile. In fact, to this day, the Jews had lived in exile from 135 A.D. all the way to 1948. There might be a few people in here that were born around that time. So that means in this room, there's people historically would have been alive, and a lot of the Bible end time stuff has developed in our generations, people that are sitting in this room right now. So we got to look at this, but we have to uh, look at also the history of this land. So I'm going to go back for a second, because if you look at this, the tabernacle is there. Moses is in the desert. We know that they wandered for a while. They didn't stay here. They left, right? So how does Solomon have any idea where to build this temple? That's a very good question because this is going to be the main point for tonight. And we got to realize this because where and, and what God was asking for the children of Israel to do, it had to deal with the land. Because remember, when you talk about the Jewish people, you cannot separate them from the promised land. That is number one, okay? You must keep that in mind. And we have mentioned in Second Samuel chapter 5 that the mention of the word Zion, okay? And, the, and listen, the Muslims hate the Zionists. They're, that's their enemy. That's their number, number one enemy. But Zion was a fortress that was uh, a stronghold in the area of Jerusalem. 
And David conquered that. That's what we see in 2 Samuel 5. And the Jebusites were the people occupying that land, but David conquered that stronghold, that that fortification. But later on, the fortification uh, of Zion became more than just a fort. It became the hill, and then it became the people. So a lot of the Muslims will call the Jews that are radical for the Lord Zionists. So we got to look at this. Very important. Because now we got to see what God says about this particular piece of property. And we see it in Psalms 132, verses 13 and 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Twice he says he desires it. This is the living God. This is the creator of all things saying this. So we have to realize this mountaintop in Jerusalem, this area, is so key. But more than just the term Zion or the hill of Zion, there's another one where we see, and it's very key, and it's called Mount Moriah. And this is the distinct hill from Zion, but it's, listen, it's adjacent, it's on the same mountain ridge. So it's very close to one another, walking distance. I'm not going to say exactly how far, but it's, I'm not, it's, it's less than a quarter a mile. Maybe the sheets. Maybe less. <laughs> or there. No, it's more than sheets. More than sheets. More than that. But listen, Mount Moriah is where the Ark of the Covenant will be brought later on when they make this. This, this is so key because we see how this holy mountain is becoming more holier and holier. In fact, let me refresh you on a story. I think you guys will all just go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I understand this. And that is Genesis 22, verse 2. This is now, see, we're seeing a type of that is so beautiful. It's God the Father loving his son, and this is very amazing. Because it, the picture of Abraham and his son Isaac is what we're looking at. And God said to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So in this hill, we see there's, and I'm talking, it's very close I'm talking from here, maybe across the street, in a really small circumference. All this is right in this region, right? So you got Zion and you got Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is where this is happening, where a father is offering his son for a sacrifice on this holy hill. And it's amazing because Golgotha, when you look at Zion, Moriah, and Golgotha is right adjacent to it. This is what we have to realize. And so we have to see this next point, and that is the where. Where? Yeah. So, you know, where to build a temple? Where does he build it? Of course, we have to see that, because it's going to be on the holy mountain. 
So, Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, tells us this. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, and where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Very, very important here. Okay, this place of where it's going to be built, the threshing place. We've got, you got a photo on that uh, one? Well, I don't. I just have the location. This is the location where the temple is going to be built. But it, all of this kind of comes into play, right? There's no mistake where God wants a temple built. There's no mistake in, in understanding the exact location. And uh, when you and I were talking uh, last week, you shared something with me that was pretty much mind-blowing. Um, and so uh, it, you, you have to share that tonight because okay. this, is, this is awesome. It really ties everything in together. Okay, you see first inside the red box here, that property, that's, that's where the original temple was. It, it was expanded later. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the threshing floor is key because in 2 Samuel 24, when you read that chapter, you find out that David went to this man named Ornan, or another name was Arana. He purchased, key, very key, listen to me. He purchased the threshing floor. This disturbs the whole movement of the Muslims against this piece of property because he bought it. He didn't conquer it where the Muslims are saying, hey, we, we want our land back. No, David bought it. That is their property, okay? Remember that. That's a key point in the whole Temple Mount. So what Alex just mentioned, I want to read what the ancient tradition of the Jewish people and what the rabbis say. Rabbi Chaim Richman writes this, The exact location of the altar is exactly extremely precise and can never be changed. And it is a universally accepted tradition that the place on which David and Solomon built the altar on the, the site of the threshing floor of Arana is the very same spot on which Abraham built the altar on which he bound Isaac. This is the same spot on which Noah built an altar upon leaving the ark. And this is the altar in which Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices and upon which Adam was created. The sages or the wise men of the Jewish people said Adam was created from the very spot that atones for him. This is what the Jews believe. Okay, whether we agree with it or not, but this is what the Jews believe. That this is how holy this little piece of property on that holy mountain is. And we, we must embrace that and understand why the Jews will do everything and anything to keep that piece of property. Very interesting to me. Now, just to confirm, this writing is not in our scripture. Is that correct? No. No, it's not in a script, but this is the Jewish tradition. And it's but think about pretty it. amazing. But think about it. If this be true, watch this next picture. This is the, the, the site of 
Jerusalem. And the lower part, if I can show you real quick, this lower part is where the city of David, this is where Zion is. But here we have the city, the old city, the upper city, of course the Temple Mount, but here is Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. We got to understand how close everything is together and now you can understand how important it would be that Jesus would be crucified on that holy mountain because it's all connected. Very, very important to realize. So we know what happens next. The temple gets destroyed. Um, Romans destroy the temple. Why, why does this have to happen? Why is this important? Well, you've got to remember, the Bible says that here, Israel and Jerusalem and this city is the eye of God. This is, the, this, is, this, this is where the pupil, you know, you touch it. It's very sensitive. This is really meaningful because we, we read that God desires this place. But yet, uh, to the Jews, Jerusalem means everything. That's their identity, that holy city. But at the same time, like Moses, when Moses misrepresented God, when Moses beat the rock rather than speaking to the rock, and God says, you're not allowed to go into the promised land. You know, when they disobey and they misrepresent God, there's a judgment. And they did that very much as they begin to worship the gods around them. And therefore, Babylon was sent and they were taken into captivity, okay? And that was the destruction the first time. And that's when we see in Scripture, not only did they destroy and take into captivity the people, but they took the articles, the holy furnishings that were inside the temple, and they took it to the temple of the Babylonians. And that's pretty sad. And we see that in Second Chronicles 36. But what we got to realize is that when you don't obey God's law, there's going to be consequences. And therefore, they will go into captivity for 70 years, okay, because they broke the laws of God. And while they're in captivity, just like any person who is in sin and bound by sin, you begin to realize what you had with God before. You begin to realize I blew it. I made a wrong choice. I should have obeyed. And this is what happened to the Jewish people because they begin to sing songs to remind them how good they had it. In fact, in Psalms 137, verses 4 and 6, this is what they sing. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cleave to the root of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. This is what they begin to realize, the awesomeness of their God, the holy temple back at home, and their failure to obey God. And now they're in captivity. And after 70 years, they are released by the king of Persia. And they begin to restart to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. This is what we see by different groups. We see Zerubbabel, 
Then we see Ezra, and then we see Nehemiah. They come and they begin to bring back in order everything about the temple. And this is key, but we remember, we got to remember from last time that we looked at the statue, and it was the head of gold, and then which is Babylon, and then we have the Persian Empire. Well, the Persian, it went into the Grecian, and from the Grecian Empire, it went into the Roman Empire. And now we're talking about the Romans just encompassing the whole known world at that time in that area. And you have a man named Herod, and we're talking about Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is the one that began to rebuild the, the city. And this is what we see. A temple like this was built, but also, like the other picture, can you go back to the other picture? The expansion. See, before it was only that within the red, but then he built it out. And he did a marvelous job in what he did because he was a great builder. But nevertheless, Romans were ruling. Jesus now is on the scene. and we see how the religious system of the Jews are now rejecting our Lord Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus now says, he brings forth a prophecy and a judgment, and that's what we learn in Matthew 24. And it says in verse 1 and 2, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so we see that the Romans did come in and they destroyed, they besieged it. You can read uh, Josephus. He gives detail about what happened during this siege. They starved the people. They were eating their own kids and so forth. It's just Horrible what happened on that time. And yet, the temple, because of this revolt, which Jesus prophesied, what happens in 70 AD, and the temple would be destroyed. In fact, this picture is a picture today of Jerusalem. You still see where the stones fell down, pushed off, and they crushed the pavement of stone. And it's still there today. It's it's amazing to think what happened there in Jerusalem. But let us bring it now forward into now closer to this generation in this room, because it was now in 1948, after World War II, we see how the Jews returned to the land, and they didn't control at this point... uh, the Temple Mount, but they're returning. And then you had in 1967, so now that's bringing a lot of us into this picture, you had the Six Days War. And this is when the Jewish people conquered the Temple Mount. They didn't have control of it before, but this, in 1967, they took control under the Colonel uh, Mordecai Gur and I want, to, I want you to hear what he said. The day they conquered the Temple Mount, he said this. We have taken the city of God. We have entered the Messianic era for the Jewish people. We shall never give it up and never leave it. 
So you see what a difference that happened. They had been out of the Temple Mount area since the Roman destruction of the building. Think about that. Until 1948, and I'm telling you, we're going to look about a lot of data that came during this era of the 40s and 50s in the next studies. But amazing when we think about it, the the Temple Mount, they had it, but then all the Islamic nations around them says, give it back, because they had been in control. They built that mosque. And they said, if you don't give it back, we will start a holy war. And so the Jews had to make a decision, and they made the decision, whether it's right or wrong, but they they did give it back, and that's why you still have that temple, the Muslim temple on that hill. There's Yeah, there's... There's a Muslim temple that's on that hill. It's considered their third holiest site. And, you know, today, just recently, Passover happened, Ramadan happened, and there were riots and all kinds of uh, just rockets being shot from inside that mosque. They were playing soccer inside the mosque. Um, Hamas and uh, Islamic jihad flags were being flown that are not allowed to be yeah. flown in yeah. their countries, but somehow they're allowed to be flown on the Temple Mount. Wait, you got to cl- clarify that. The Hamas flags are not to be flown in a many, many of the Muslim nations. It's not allowed. But somehow, some way, they were allowed to fly on the top of the most holy mountain in Jerusalem. And things got so sketchy just in the last couple of weeks that even the um, Israeli police, they have an outpost outside the East Gate. We're going to talk about the East Gate here in a minute. We start talking about the Third Temple. But um, they abandoned their post. Mm-hmm. They left. It, so why it, the Temple Mount is in Israel? They still to this day don't control that area. Very so important. It, yeah, that is absolutely critical. But there's a mosque there. Tell us about the importance of this mosque. The, well, this mosque is called. It has many names, but one of them, famous, is the Dome of the Rock. Okay, and uh, you got to realize on that top portion, that's a lot of Arabic writing. It's kind of hard to see, uh, but it's in Arabic, and it's a quotation from the Quran. And let me tell you what it says. It says, Allah is not begotten, neither does he beget. Therefore, God has no son. So now you're talking about the most holy hill that's dealing with the Messiah. You're talking about Abraham and Isaac, the offering a picture of the father sacrificing his son. You see the whole picture, and it's on this mountain, and they put this mosque, and they say, God has no son. That is abomination. That is, that is blasphemy on the holy mountain of God right, right now that we have. And so very important that we see, because this is only a picture of really the greater abomination that is coming, which is the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist is going to do. But nevertheless, what you got to realize is that what happened with the Jewish people in their history, all right? They went into captivity. Do you realize that when they went into Babylon, majority of them did not want to come home? They were released, but they stood 
and they preferred Babylon over their own holy city. Understand that. That's historical. But then when they were in Persia, and a lot of Kabbalah comes from the Persian Empire and Babylonian Empire. So Kabbalah is really popular right now, especially with musicians. It's, it's, it's really a satanic mysticism. And we're, we're seeing how the Jewish people took that in. All right. And this is why you can see that they were so blinded by false religion that when the Messiah came, when Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday and they didn't recognize him as their Messiah. And Jesus says, you should have known your day. They were held accountable because the scripture says when, according to Daniel, when the Messiah would come. And they blew it because they're all into this other stuff. And so today, really, when you look at the Jewish people, they also are believing the lie of the devil that the Muslims believe and that God has no son. They don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. The Jewish don't. They're not going to believe until that one day, we'll talk about it in our study in the future, in Zechariah, when the Lord returns, then they'll believe. But right now, uh, they don't. And yet, we got to see that, you know, when Jesus was here, he himself said he was the Son of God. And this is why they crucified him. That's what we learned from John 19. So when you begin to study this point about what the Jews were believing and what they were doing, just read the book of Acts. You see the religious Jewish people persecuting the church throughout the book of Acts. Because why? Because Jesus was called the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we can understand now Revelation 2.9, where it says, I know the blasphemy of those who say that are Jews, and they are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. They have fallen, really, along with the lie that Satan has sent out, and many have believed, and this is really sad. It's not about just your DNA. It's about what you believe. You have faith or not, like Abraham. So, The third temple, I'm not a rocket scientist. I have a feeling I know where it's going to be built. But um, how do we know for sure? Does it tell us? Does the Bible tell us exactly where this temple is going to be built? How do we know? Yeah, well, we know because of the promised land. We see the promises. We see what we just talked about, Mount Moriah, Zion, Golgotha. It's all on this hill. But we also see something very interesting in Revelation chapter 11, the first two verses. It says, And then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is the outside of the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, which is three and a half years, And understand, that is why when we look at that holy hill, that's why that mosque is there. Because, interesting, where that mosque is, rabbis of old, when the Muslims took it over, 
They said that's where Solomon's temple was. But many believe that those men lied to Muslims, to the Muslims, so they would build it over there. So on the left side is really where the temple was, and that in the future, a temple will be built there. And talk about trampling, just on a side note, all the stuff that happened last week, again, Gentiles, non-Jews, trampling inside of this mosque and tearing apart artifacts and all kinds of things that were in there was quite biblical in terms of all the events that were taking place. But you know what? What we're looking at today is, okay, how is it going to be built? And really, the only thing we can think of is a war that is going to cause this to happen. Yeah. So we know that Israel doesn't have control of, 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 the, of the mount. So who, there's no way, they can't even worship up there. Um, they get turned away when they try to worship up there, when they try to do anything up there. So how is it going to be that they're able to come up and actually be free to build a new temple on this holy land? And so uh, we're told in Ezekiel what's going to happen. And so thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshash, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your armies, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with buckles and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togomrah, and the far north with all its troops, and many people are with you. So we know this war has not yet happened. We know that nations are going to be coming against the nation of Israel. The hooks in the jaw, there's a lot of speculation about the hooks in the jaw. Is it natural gas? Which Israel found, the it, largest <laughs> gas in the Mediterranean. So they are sitting on a lot, a lot of natural gas. And uh, with uh, nations being cut off and what's going on right now in Europe, it's very possible that that becomes the hook in the jaw that that, uh, that leads them to attack Israel. However, now, Rosh, we're talking about Russia. Yeah. Okay? I understand that. Russia and a bunch of the Islamic yeah. and Muslim nations around Israel are going to team up and join in. And that's a really critical piece because at the end of this chapter, we see how uh, God basically, as he has always done and will continue to do, comes and intervenes for his people. Uh, Ezekiel 38, 18 through 23, and it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face for my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel and that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains will be thrown down. The steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. So there's going to be no doubt that the God of Israel has stepped in to save them from this attack. And when that happens, all of these Islamic nations, all of these Muslims, um, they're going to lose a little faith in their God. And they're gonna they're gonna clear the path. They're gonna they're gonna be like, huh, 
That didn't work out. So uh, what's next? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure yeah. there's a one world religion coming that they're going to go, right. let's try that. Yeah. Um, and so what that does is it, it gets the ones who are really holding on to this territory and keeping the Jews, keeping Israel off of this Temple Mount. It's going to clear the path for them. And once that path is clear, clearly uh, we know that the Antichrist is going to play a big role in the building yeah. of this temple. And, this, and his ultimate goal is this that we see in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day which will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So there has to be a temple for him to do that. This is what we're looking for right now, and we got to understand uh, what is that current status about building a temple for him to do this? Because we're seeing so many things looking like, hey, we're close to the end times than the rapture of the church, but where is other evidence, and this is what we want to look at, because there is a, in Jerusalem, a ministry or a institution, it's called, uh, it's called the Temple Institute of Jerusalem. And we got to look at this, because this Jewish people have been remaking and, and going according to the dimensions from the Bible, mainly in, 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 uh, in Exodus, they're building all the things for the temple when it's going to come in the future. That's very interesting. And we see that all these things have to be there. So they're not waiting for the temple, then making them. They already made these. And this is very key. And so many bus when you go on a tour of Israel, they stop at this place because you can buy things. We bought things. I have things from this shop. And you can ask questions. But you know what the most common question is to these people? Are you guys going to build the temple? And they were saying for many, many decades, because they've been since the 60s building these things, they say, no, we can't. So... Are all these things in place? Do they have everything they need? They have, I think, the majority of everything. Majority, because they were, the, the colors of the robes of the priests, there were certain seashells that made the color. Uh, they've been also wanting to build it, but then they saw in Zechariah chapter six, look at this verse. As Zechariah wrote this in verse 12 to 13, he says, then speak to him saying, thus, says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, which is Jesus Christ, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and he shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be the priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So it's Jesus. So this is when they said, Hey, well, they're not saying Jesus. They're saying the Messiah. They're saying we can't. The Messiah has to build it. But now generations have gone by, uh, uh, or, or not generations, decades have gone by, and now the rabbis say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe we build all these articles that go into the temple, 
and maybe we need to build the temple, then the Messiah will come. That's where they came from, right? If you build it, he will come? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Exactly. So, listen, this is very important, what they're saying. Uh, and what is so key is this, what they've been working on for a while, and that is the red heifer. This, this rabbi is not burning ants, by the way. He's got a, it's not a magnifying glass. He's not burning ants. What's he doing? This, he's looking. It has to be a complete red heifer. They can't be a single different color hair on this red heifer. It is used for the cleansing. I want to, I want to, I want to read something to you what the Jews believe. It's the red heifer is a special cow that is very important because the future of the entire world depends on it. For God has ordained that its ashes alone are the single missing ingredient for the reinstatement of biblical purity for the priest, for the high priest, and and thereafter the rebuilding of the holy temple. So they know they can't build the temple until they get this red heifer. And they have been working on it, and they say they have at least three, up to maybe ten. They don't want to say the locations because they know the Muslims would try to kill them. And they're not genetically modified. These are a real red heifers. Non-GMO heifers. You could buy them at LD. So think about it. Think about this. This whole thing is so important about what's going on with the temple. In fact, when you remember when uh, Bill Clinton was president at Camp David, uh, there was a big thing with the Palestinian leadership and the Jewish leadership there with him. And Bill Clinton, of all people, says, hey, you know what? Maybe we can build a wall and separate that holy mountain and you guys can build your temple. He said that. So. This is an amazing thing when we begin to see, but we got to remember, 1 Thessalonians 5 warns us, when they begin to say peace and safety, then sudden destruction is going to come. And this is what we're looking at right now. So again, we got to look at the ten toes. At the bottom of the statue, it's the Roman Empire. This is what we're looking at. And it's going to be the last dominion of Gentile nations ruling until Christ comes back. Because what do we see about the statue that is so key to our study this evening? It's Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. It says, you watched, he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and the broke and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and they became like shaft from the summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away. So there's no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. That is the Lord Jesus Christ coming down and destroying the nations of Gentile nations rule over the earth. And this is now where Jesus is going to be the one ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. 
And that makes us now go to the next temple, and that's the millennial temple, and we'll end with this temple tonight. And we see when, when you study Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48. Can, that, can we back up for a second? Sure. So the third temple. What happens at the third temple? Because this oh, is kind of... Well, kinda, you mentioned it. I, I, I should have yeah, yeah. brought that. This is when that earthquake comes. When Before Jesus the earthquake. Lands. What happens to the earthquake? What kind of sets everything rolling in motion, right? The Antichrist has to come. He has a big role to play in this. Yeah, well, he's got, well, he's going to sit on that throne. I, I don't want to go too much because we're going to do two whole... Just, just temple-related Antichrist. Yeah. We'll just stick he's to gonna the temple He's going to go in there, Antichrist. and he's going to claim that he's God. That's what we read in 2 Thessalonians. That is the most wicked and most evil thing. This is what Satan always wanted. He wanted to be worshipped. Remember, that's who he is. He wanted to be like the most high God. He will now enter into the Antichrist. The only two, two humans in human history was Judas and the Antichrist. Everybody else is demon-possessed. These are the two that are possessed by Satan. And here we see him go in, and he takes the worship of the world. That's what he wants. That's the abomination of desolation. And, and you and I, won't, we won't see this third temple. Yep. I, we will oh, not oh, see I it. hope we don't. Right? The rapture happens. The temple gets built while we're on vacation for a while. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll probably get a chance to see the destruction, maybe. Yeah. You know, we'll see yeah. how that plays out. But, uh, okay, as you were. As I was. Okay, so we see, again, if you want to look at the millennial temple, we see in the last eight chapters of Ezekiel. But there is, again, uh, the temple where the Lord is going to in glory rule. And, in fact, in Isaiah 12, 6, it says, Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. The Lord is going to rule and reign from this holy place, finally, and it's the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham all the way down through David, was promised that a, a, a son from David would rule and reign forever and ever. All this is going to happen, and we learn from Scripture, it, he's, the Lord's going to rule there for a thousand years, okay? That's what it says, and what's interesting is that the whole mis- Messianic government is going to control the whole world. That is key. And we see that in Daniel chapter 7. But more important, this city where Jesus rules from is also where we come with the Lord. Okay, praise the Lord for this. We come with him to rule and reign with him. This is what Revelation 20 verse 6 says. And we got to realize, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over which the second death has no power, but shall be priest of God and of Christ and shall reign, listen, shall reign with him a thousand years. So listen, we are people of God that get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. This is going to be an awesome time in our future. In fact, even according to Matthew 19, 28, we see the 12 apostles they will have authority over the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we see what God's plan is. It's a place and a time where righteousness will rule. That's what Isaiah says in chapter 1. And listen, yes, 
we will see a lot of evil things from the satanic system, which we're even seeing today. We're seeing this antichrist uh, preparations happening. But when we begin to hear about the temple, we need to wake up. We need to pay attention because that stone that is being cut out in heaven is going to come and hit that statue. And you know what? Christ is coming, and he's going to rule and reign forever and ever. In fact, one day, there's going to be no temple because Jesus is the temple. But right now, we got to realize we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be doing the Father's business even now as we dwell on this earth until he comes. Awesome. So uh, we have some time, which is good. Because I want to switch gears here and go from temple to more topical things. Some of you may have heard uh, some some news recently. Depending on who you listen to, what you listen to. um, Basically, deliberate and evil, satanic plan of COVID. Truth is coming out, right? The, uh, The difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth is, you know, just a few months. Uh, and, uh, and all of a sudden it becomes, and you start realizing that, wait a minute, I think we've been played. So it's been two years, two years. No one has found this virus. Hasn't been isolated. That seem weird to you? So in two years, I mean, no one's isolated this virus. Um, we find out in an interview with, uh, Dr. Brian Artist, that he's come to understand that COVID is actually a manufactured snake venom. Interesting. Okay? Uh, protein sequences found in king cobra and Chinese crete snakes. To make matters worse, doctors... Wait, wait, wait. It's not a bat. It's not a bat. It's a snake. It's not a bat. It's a snake. Um. To make matters worse, doctors from around the globe have started testing vials of this injection that some people have been taking and have found similar properties. So, other than this just being deliberately satanic and evil because they're purposely using a snake, a serpent, does the Bible address this in any way? Does the All Bible we, tell the only us? thing we know is the devil came as a serpent, but that's about it. So it, it is a ploy to kind of, haha, got you. If they're going to get you, they get you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when, when people are at war with the Muslims, they take bullets and they, they dip it in like pig's blood and pig's fat because yeah. that way they, they don't get to go to their heaven if they get shot with those bullets. But, you know, this is important. Revelation 18.23 Your Bible has one of two versions. For by your sorcery, some say magical spell, all the nations were deceived. And the word that's used there in the Greek for sorcery or magical spell is pharmakia. That word pharmakia is where we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceutical. So when you hear this, it is 
more than just a little disturbing. Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. But we kind of, Jesus kind of told us, yeah. right? We can't get caught up on being so worried about that, that we take our eyes off of the scripture, that we take our eyes off of Christ, that we take our eyes off of um, the cross. So if anything, we need to say, huh, okay, Lord, you kind of told us about this. We're going to be fooled the whole world, right? This is one thing that literally the entire world, as this, as it says, all the nations were deceived. The whole world is going to be fooled by this. The whole world fell for it. And so, but we can get all caught up in getting crazy over this. And I'm sure things are going to happen at some point. If, if we ever get this to be mainstream and anyone really starts questioning it outside of the alternative media. But bottom line is, as believers, our, our role is to understand that Jesus told us, right, that in this world we will have trouble. He told us and warned us about this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's that's our hope. Everything just needs to come back to Jesus. We can't go crazy thinking and worrying about this stuff. Am I missing anything on this? You're right. Deceive, again, there's that word, deceive. So, you got to wake up. Yeah. Okay. Uh Number two thing, big thing on the list. I literally went shopping right before we came here. Because uh, like, like your wife, I enjoy making salsa. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's as good as hers. Maybe yeah. we'll have like a, a contest. I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't want to do it. I would yeah, lose. Yeah. I've had her salsa. There's some empty shelves in the stores. Yep. Uh, this is, if you have not figured this out yet, it is strategic, it is intentional famine. And uh, we have a question. I I have a comment on that. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone listening on the live stream, the the, the comment was made that this, this, this woman has been driving and drove across the country and saw vacant farmlands that haven't been plowed, that are unattended. Uh, Edmund, do you know who the largest owner of farmland is in the United States? Bill Gates, our buddy, huh? Bill Gates. Yep. Uh, China owns a whole lot of our farmland. You know that China has also been buying a lot of our seaports? Oh, yeah. Why would they want our seaports and... The other question that seems a little too obvious is why on earth would we be selling seaports to China? Then recently, resident Biden in a speech announces that food shortages are going to be real, he said. And then to top it off, there have been 18, 18 food processing facilities that have burnt down in the past six months. In America. It's, and it's also happening in Russia, and it's also happening in Europe. This is clearly not an accident. It's clearly not a mistake. In all of 2020, I think there were two food processing plants that had small fires in them. Nothing burned down. 
All of these have burnt down. Two of them had airplanes crash into them. So, what does the Bible tell us about famine in the last days? There's going to be famine. That's for sure. That's, that's what it says. That's it? That's all you got? That, that's, hey, that's what I know. The word says it. <laughs> so, this is what's important. I think this is what we have to drive home, you guys. You know, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Jesus tells us, look, these things are going to happen. He goes, in, he goes into this, this rant. It's amazing. And, and again, in Luke 21, he says, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. We are the bride of Christ. He is not going to allow us to go through the persecution. When we see these things, don't celebrate, okay? Don't celebrate, but know that what is written in the Scripture is true. It's coming true. It's right before us. We very well could be the generation. I believe we are the generation that will not pass away. And so we see these things. We shouldn't be surprised. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. We need to grab our loved ones. We need to share the gospel. We need to be very deliberate about understanding that every single person you see is a child of God. And we need to treat them as such. So that's huge. Now, this is a fun one. Uh, Amazon. Uh, All of us in this room, we help do this, by the way. We all are accountable for this. But Amazon, uh, they've been looking for a place to build their, their second headquarters. And Pittsburgh was in the running, if you remember, just a few years ago. We were probably all rooting that we were going to get one of these because it was going to bring 25,000 jobs and all kinds of other stuff. But uh, they received uh, approval here in the last 10 days to, to build their headquarters in Arlington, Virginia. And this is the thing about... Uh, People who are satanic, evil, it, it's just right in your face. They don't, they don't mess around. So this is what their building looks like. And uh, they are literally copying the Tower of Babel. They're making no mistake over this. And if you go to the Amazon website... In their own words, this is a quotation you'll find under their artistic drawing of of what this building is going to look like. The immersive botanical experience offers forest rooms for communal gathering, relaxation, respite, and a cascading water feature that creates a cooling microclimate for all to enjoy. Uh, Don't they remember what happened to the first Tower of Babel? Yep. But one thing you got to realize, around the world, the, it, the great falling away has to happen. The apostasy has to happen. And people are going away from Christ in the last days. This is why when we look at Europe, we, we say it's a dark hole spiritually. It's, it's post-Christian because Christianity came from that way to our way. And, and now it's getting dark. And there went from a post-Christian era to a neo-pagan era. 
That's where we're at, a neo-pagan era. That's why you're seeing all these satanic statues, uh, this, the guidestones, all, all these different things. This is why we're seeing this, because we're, we're, we're back to paganism. Absolutely. And back to Revelation 18. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Amazon. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's some crazy stuff. Uh, next month, I should have looked up the date, whatever that first Wednesday is in the month of June. Uh, we will be talking about the Antichrist, and uh, we will continue to hit some of these topics. And uh, June 2nd, I'm being told. Uh, and so, June 1st. Okay. Um, again, first Wednesday in June. And uh, so, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. Um, we're also going to hit some of these topics and get some of these questions, and we'll try to do our best to to do some of these kind of rapid-fire things and talk about some current events and things that, that are concerning to you. Um, we'll, we'll try to get uh, something on the website where you might be able to submit some questions and things that you want to talk about so that you can do that and get those to us if there's something you want us to address. Uh, we will always spend the majority of our time talking about whatever that teaching is because we are leading up to getting into um, things that are going to be critical. But we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. We're going to be talking about, after that, a one-world economy and a one-world government, and then we're going to come back to a one-world religion uh, after that. So we're going to be covering a lot of these things that literally are hitting us right in the face right now. So Edmund, uh, as, uh, as we invite uh, uh, Ashley and Jillian to come back up, will you, will you pray us out? Father, we thank you again for this time that we can gather in your name. And Lord, to uh, encourage one another. Lord, all this madness and crazy things that are happening is nothing compared to one day we get to rule and reign with you. Righteousness. Lord, at that point, we will be like you. Not having to deal with sin, but Lord, living a holy life and being servants of the living God. We're thankful for, Lord, your prophetic word that tells us all these things in advance, and we hold on to them. And we hold on to them because of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in His name. Amen. This is Pastor Jeff Miller, and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this, how can I support your ministry? Well, I got good news for you. It is easy, and it is secure. All you have to do is go to harvestpittsburghnorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions and you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North.